Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. This is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch. This season's been all about the Fallout role-playing game, and we've been going for well over a year. And in fact, we started this towards the end of 2022, and we're kicking off 2024 still building. I've been talking about where you can get your copy of the rules all season long, and since we're this close to being done with the season... I think we're pretty good at this point. So I'll just mention that Modifius Entertainment's got a really good website that you ought to check out if you've got a moment, and it's M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. And since this is the first episode of the new year, and it's been pretty obvious for the past couple of build episodes how things have been going, let me just state the obvious. We're down to the last two episodes of the season. This week will be the final build episode, which means we'll probably go long since I've also got some epilogue stuff I want to put in. And next week, I'll do the postmortem for both the build and for the play for the show. That means we kick off season three the following week, and I'll announce what that's going to be on next week's show. So since the clock's running out on the Fallout build, let me stop running my yapper about nonsense and start giving you the recap of last week's build so we could start building the finale. Last week, the group had to decide how they wanted to get into the Kiel Auditorium to get to Paladin Zane and her group. And while we did discuss the option that involved dropping explosives on the Opera House and burying everyone in rubble, we didn't cover the option of a full frontal assault in the main episode. We covered that in a bonus show. The option we covered in full was sneaking in through a rubble pile that actually was the auditorium. That pile led to a metal door. Making access from there, the group noted that a four-minute countdown to some sort of explosion had been activated. The group had to deal with Zane, her team, and two officers. When that was done, they had to hack the system and stop the countdown. With that done, they once again hacked the system to figure out where these explosions were coming from. After some checking, they found out that Victor had actually managed to find those several weeks prior and had stolen both the nuclear material and the explosions, leaving basically metal shells behind. So with that threat having been neutralized, Mackenzie Cook called for Brotherhood of Steel support to secure the site, and Elder Sandvar requested the group return to the Pacificus for another mission. Something that happened during all of this also requires mentioning, as the group was changing gear, as they needed to leave their power armor and change into better armor, they noticed a couple of vertebrates completing a kamikaze run on the dome, which they successfully completed, blowing up the dome and destroying some buildings around it. They also saw a couple of others head off towards the symphony hall, and Cook called for some backup to stop those, and they didn't know what had happened until they came out of the opera house after their mission. They found out that their team succeeded, and the chase team dropped the other birds into the wreckage of the old St. Louis University, and the smoke and fire was still visible. One more note here. We noted during last week's show that if the group decided to drop bombs on the Opera House and Auditorium, they would think they got everyone, but actually would not. We'll get to that later in the show, so be aware of it. All right, I think we covered everything we needed to get to here, so let's get to building. As we noted, the group's been requested to return to the Pacificus for another assignment, and since their power armor was taken back there, they need to get back there anyway. Once their vertebrate has docked and the group's back on the deck, they're all summoned back to the command deck where Elder Sandvar is waiting for them. She has a serious look on her face. Our vertebrates have been making good progress at damaging the Pugnus, but my fear is that when they finally destroy it, it will crash into Diamond Pass or onto the riverfront, and the amount of damage it will do is unacceptable. 
Therefore, she has an alternate plan. She wants the group, along with Paladin Cook and two Brotherhood Lancers, who are Brotherhood of Steel pilots, to take a vertebrate to the Pugnus, land, and plant explosives on the airbags. They're also to pilot the Pugnus over the Mississippi or over western Illinois before detonating those explosives. If possible, they're also to take out the Elder. Obviously, the idea is to escape using the same vertebrate they got on there with, but if by chance it's damaged, they're to figure out how to escape. And if they can't, well, <laughs> Sanvar reports she'll pull as many vertebrates as possible to provide cover for the group so they can approach the Pugnus, which shouldn't be too hard since the Pugnus doesn't have a whole lot of vertebrates left at this point. Also, according to the limited reports they've got, there shouldn't be a lot of personnel left on board the Pugnus. So there shouldn't be a lot of resistance to the group once they get there, though the group shouldn't take anything for granted. All right, so before we get too deep into this, I do need to let you know that the stats for Brotherhood Lancers are on page 385. And don't forget to get your players back into their power armor since we know they're not about to head onto the Pugnus without it. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I mean, when I've done this in Fallout 4, I sure as heck didn't. So why do it here? Right? Right. All right, so let's do this by the numbers. The group has a six vertebrate escort to the Pugnus, and while there are a couple of enemy vertebrates that take pot shots at them, their escorts are able to drop them pretty quickly. The Pugnus itself gets a few shots off at them, and they do lose a couple of their escorts, but after making maneuvers to dodge and avoid, they get close enough to dock. They do have to use the minigun to remove defenders from the dock before they can land, but we're not going to make them roll for that because, well, vertebrate miniguns basically have unlimited ammo and with the cover of vertebrate has, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. However, once they get off the vertebrate, some of the remaining personnel attempt to close the trap they think they've got. A number of paladins equal to three more than the total number of group members, and that includes Cook and the Lancers, fires on them. And for the record, they wait until the group makes their way up the gangway from the docking ramp to the gangway that leads toward the main decks of the blimp itself. If you've played Fallout 4, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I'll give you the most basic of explanations. Think of a capital letter T. The group's coming up from the vertical and the ambush takes place once they meet the intersection with the horizontal. The group's goal is to make it to the right of the horizontal. Hopefully that made sense. And the group should be doing everything they can to keep the Lancers in the middle of the group since they're wearing the most basic of armor and definitely don't have power armor on. Since if they lose these guys, they more than likely don't have pilots, which will make getting out of here pretty difficult. Not impossible, but difficult. This fight's going to probably take a long time, and the group needs to realize that using explosives is a bad idea. And that's mostly because they need to keep the walkways intact. If they lose them, they lose access to the command deck. And if they lose that, for all intents and purposes, they lose the ability to complete their mission, at least in any way that doesn't require a suicide mission. It's going to use a lot of ammo, a lot of stim packs, and probably cause their power armor to take a lot of damage. And between you and me, that's okay. This is the bulk of the defense the Pugnus has. It's not all of it, but it's the largest single amount they've got since the idea was to try to keep them from getting on board the ship. Since they failed, they've still got a couple of options left, but the group's mission is probably going to succeed from this point. 
But of course, we're not telling them that. The group makes their way up the stairs and through the bulkhead door to enter the pugness. Once inside, they find themselves facing Elder Cannon. After everything they've heard Cook and Sandvar say about him, they probably expected him to look like the devil himself, which probably surprises them to see he looks like a friendly old grandfather. He appears to be about 75 years old, though he could be older than that. His silver hair is pulled back in a ponytail, and he's got a white beard and a mustache. He's got more wrinkles than smooth skin on his face, but his uniform is freshly pressed. His mouth is pressed into a tight frown, and he locks his gray eyes on Cook as the group gathers. He addresses her directly. I should have known it would be you. Cook pauses for a moment before she responds. I gave you every chance to rethink this course of action, father. That will get the group's attention. Cook pauses again, realizing she hit Cannon where it hurts. She only gives him a moment before she speaks again. Mother gave you every chance as well. She always believed deep down that you are a good man. Misguided, but a good man. We both know you want what's best for the people, but this, this isn't the way to do it. For a brief moment, Cannon's eyes seem to water up, as if he's getting emotional, but it's, it's only a brief moment. Then the storm of anger sweeps back in, and he tears into Cook with everything he's got. Of course your mother would think that way. Of course your mother would poison you like that. The woman who split my brotherhood team in two to spite me, turned my own daughter against me to spite me, sent my own daughter to kill me to spite me. Of course she believes I'm a good man. He huffs an angry huff at her. Do whatever you want. None of you will get off this ship alive. I can promise you that. Look, let's be honest here. The group's got a lot of questions, but they're also going to be curious about what exactly Cannon meant about not getting off the ship alive. They can try to get him to tell them, but he's not talking. And I mean, he's not talking. So they need to get to it. They've got work to do, so it's time to get to work. The airbags are a level up and the controls for the ship are a level down from where they are at present. Cook suggests that she and the Lancers take Cannon down to the controls to move the ship while the group gets the explosive planted. For the record, Cook and the two Lancers can handle the Lancers down there without any issues, so there's nothing to concern themselves about, nor are there any surprises down there. The sadistic surprise is coming for the group upstairs. Hee <laughs> hee. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. The group clears the ladder and needs to head off to the right to climb two sets of stairs to get up the level to plant the explosives on the airbags. And yes, if you played Fallout 4, I stole this from the railroad storyline. I did it because it fits with what we're doing here, and I altered the storyline we were running with. But we've got more coming with it, so it's not exactly the same. So there are three pylons that the explosives need to be attached to, and they're about 60 to 70 feet apart. The group's got a couple of different ways to handle this so they can figure this one out. And of course, we're going to toss the last of the Pugnus' defenders at them when they go to do this. And there are reasons why they wait until now. Two more than the total number of group members, and they're a combination of knights and paladins. The paladins are in power armor. And if you've got an odd number of group members, the extra attacker is a paladin. So let's lay out what we need to consider. The side the explosives are being attached to are basically walls. So you can't shoot through them or see through them. The group members are basically standing on grates, but fortunately for them, there's nobody below them. 
There's also nobody on the other side of them since the railing goes over the side to nothingness. The problem is that the walkway's only about six feet wide and they need to go one way or the other to get out of here and down to the level below so they can head back down and get off the level they're on. That's how the attack is working. Bottleneck the group and pick them off the best they can. The strategy is this. Take out the group if they can, but mostly just take up as much time as possible before the group takes them out. You may be wondering why, but don't worry too much about it. Just keep track of rounds and remember that much like we discussed last week, each round is six seconds. When the combat ends, the group should have been able to attach all of the explosives. If they haven't, get that done, then have them haul it back down and get to cook the Lancers in cannon. Now, he refuses to go with them and, in fact, smiles. Now, let's pause because we need to back up and do some counting. And we need to do that because it plays into Elder Cannon's comment about not getting off the ship alive. Here's the inside scoop. When the group finished the initial combat on the deck, he activated the ship's self-destruct with a 10-minute silent countdown. We'll give two minutes to cross the deck and enter the hatch. We'll give another two minutes for their conversation. Let's go for two minutes for Cook and her crew to get where they were going and the group to get where they were headed and start getting explosives into place. Now, we've got combat going on. So at six seconds per round, we need to keep that in mind. Let's go two minutes to get back to where Cook and the Lancers are. So without the combat, that puts us at eight minutes. For grins and giggles, let's say combat was five rounds. That puts us at eight and a half minutes, which would give us 90 seconds until the ship explodes. So if there's more than 30 seconds left before the self-destruct, Cannon will attempt to delay the group. Maybe he'll give Cook the impression he's changed his mind as a concerned father. That'll take a BS check and it'll need to come from the group to figure out he's delaying them for some reason. Maybe he'll try to convince the group or something. If there's 30 seconds or less left, he'll just start counting down and the group will need to hoof it to the vertebrae. They can get to it, but with less than 30 seconds left from the control deck, there's no way they can get it both detached and started before the pugness explodes. They'll have to detach and hope to heck they can crank it up before they splatter themselves all over the state of Illinois. You make the rolls. Fortunately, Lancers get 3d20 for these rolls. So even with a perception plus pilot difficulty 5, they should be able to get the successes they need, especially if you burn action points for them. And don't forget, you can have one of the pilots assist the other. The only way they're hosed is if, by chance, they lost one or both of them during the initial combat. Then, well, at least this was the last night of the game. We'll see you for Season 3. I think we can give the group an opportunity to figure this out, though. Why not? I mean, we've got two Brotherhood of Steel-trained Lancers working the bridge of an airship. It makes sense they'd be working the monitors to see what's what. Let's have them make intelligence plus science checks difficulty three, and and one can help the other. A success would have them realize that the self-destruct has been activated with a silent countdown, and they can deactivate it. They could also do it without telling anybody, and therefore when Cannon gets cute later on, they can drop the bomb on him, thereby giving the group the last laugh. In that case, the group could decide what they want to do, though Cannon will absolutely refuse to go with the group, and if they try to take him, he'll jump overboard, so he's definitely not going with them at all. Once the vertebrate is clear of the pugness and they're far enough away to see the show, they can detonate the explosives and see the spectacular explosion. And the Lancers got it far enough away that it lands 
mostly in the Mississippi. What doesn't land there hits the Illinois side and doesn't hit anything populated or important or anything like that. Upon their return to the Pacificus, the staff greets them with thunderous applause. The exception to this is Elder Sanvar, who has a sad look on her face. She nods in acknowledgement of their accomplishments and heads off to the command deck. The group is given time for food, rest, and repair of their armor, and at some point, Sanvar and Cook will give them the explanation of exactly what the conversation with Cannon meant, if they so choose to and want to hear it, and we'll do the short version. Uh, Cannon and Sanvar had joined the Brotherhood together, became knights at the same time, paladins at the same time, they had Mackenzie, then Cannon became elder, at some point his attitude changed. While he'd once wanted to bring peace to the continent by bringing understanding and knowledge, his opinion had changed to bringing peace through domination. Sanvar decided to leave. She originally worked with another elder, but then eventually became elder of her own group, which was comprised of members of Cannon's group who disagreed with his policies. Uh, Mackenzie had felt torn between her parents, and while she'd started with her mother, at one point she wanted to try to mend a relationship with her father. But she told her mother she'd be her inside agent, but she didn't really want to do so. But then when Zane turned out to be the monster Cook saw her to be, she decided her father was too far gone. You, you get the point. Okay, so at this point, this is the end of the main storyline. Unless if the group bombed the opera house, kind of like we discussed a couple of times, they didn't get Zane. This would be a good time to bring him back into the equation. With the Pugnus and Cannon out of the equation, along with pretty much every ground troop of the Brotherhood, how do we bring them back into this and in a sort of logical way? So I've been kicking this around since last week, since I just know somebody bombed the Opera House and we need to do this, because of course somebody did. There's a number of things we need to take into account when we set this up. One, where would be the most covert place to pop up? I mean, they're pretty obvious at this point. They've ticked off a lot of people and been to a lot of areas. So it's going to have to be a spot they can get into without being obvious. Two, where can they go where they can do a lot of damage at one time? I mean, at this point, they have to know it's their last stand. I mean, the Pugnus has been taken out. The Vertebrates have taken out the Dome and a lot of other places. They are going to have to take something of importance out to make a statement. Three. What can they take out that's of importance to the group that they can get into covertly? That's the real key. As important as the first two keys are, they really need to be factored into this final part. If it's not important to the group, it's not important to Zane. Zane is going to blame the group for her lack of success since in her mind, everything that's gone wrong since her and her team got here can be directly tied to the group and therefore they should pay for all of this. So... Let's run down the possibilities. Diamond Pass. Yeah, no, and I think we all know why. The Dome. Again, it doesn't exist anymore. The Opera House. It doesn't exist anymore. The Symphony Hall. I mean, that'd be a, a hell of an idea, but it's not a chance that they could get in undetected. I mean, the opportunity to try to get to Victor again would be worth a shot, but it would definitely be a suicide run And they're going to want to do this in a way that they could call out the group. So in my mind, it leaves them with one choice. The Fox Theater. And and here's why. Victor is rebuilding it to use for his business. This means that even though he's got security there, he's probably not going to have full security there 24-7, especially after the Pugnus crashes, since he believes the good guys have won. 
that's going to probably loosen everybody up a bit, especially since things are going to have calmed down after a day or two. Even the Raider groups are going to probably chill out for a couple of days. And that's what Zane and her group are going to do. They're going to hold off. They're going to give everybody a day or two to think, hey, yay, it's all cool. So let's set this up. Early in the morning, about a week or two after the crash of the Pugnus, there's going to be a huge explosion at the Fox Theater. The buildings immediately around are going to be rocked by hand grenades and rockets, and Paladin Zane's voice is going to be heard calling out from the building itself. Hello, Victor. You sent your little friends to get us once before, but you missed. We want one more round with them, and only them. You have one hour to bring them to us. No power armor, no explosives, just weapons and armor. If they bring anything other than that, or they bring anyone other than themselves, we use the mini nukes we've planted around the building and take out the block. Winner takes all. This is literally as simple as this. Zane is, pardon my language, pissed off at the group and just wants revenge. You've seen it in dozens of movies before where the villain is so obsessed with the hero that they lost all objectivity and Zane has reached that point. She's lost her leader. She's lost her troops. She's lost her purpose. All she wants at this point is to kill the group or die trying and she has no problem taking out the entire block if she needs to. Now, for the record, there aren't any mini-nukes. That's a complete bluff to prevent anybody from interfering. But we don't need to tell the group that. It's designed to get them to show up without the power armor and without dropping explosives on them again. It's a straight-up fight. Again, Zane and her crew are there. Now, Zane is going to cheat, of course. She's in her power armor. She's got two knights with her plus a scribe. Paladin stats are on pages 383 and 384. Knight stats are on 383. Scribe stats are on 384 and 385. Last one standing wins. That's going to be the group. We all know that. Victor's going to thank them for their standing up for them, and he'll reward them with caps, and you can give them however many you think is appropriate. Oh, one more thing on this one. Victor will equip them however you think is necessary. Because just remember, The only thing we said is no explosives and no power armor. Otherwise, it's Victor. We've said all along he has the ability to get his hands on anything. They're also working with the Brotherhood. So work the loopholes on that however you want. Whatever weapons, whatever armor. Because you know Zane's going to cheat. They know this. So however you want to work it. That's up to you. That's up to your group. Anyway. So this is it. If you've got any other kind of cleanup that you want to do on this, Jessica Denman, we never really got down to that. Um, So if you've got any other cleanup you want to do or anything you want to do to extend that, that's it. Campaign's complete. Or anyway, my build for the campaign is complete. You can keep running if you want to. And listen, I'm more than happy to provide you some ideas if you want to keep building and, and going on. Now, I gave a couple of ideas for these back when I did the YouTube videos discussing what to do if your group went bad. Obviously, you can check that out on the YouTube channel if you are so inclined. Now, one thing to consider is all of the damage that's taken place thanks to the battle between the two Brotherhood of Steel groups. The dome was completely destroyed along with a lot of buildings, which means you've got a ton of dead bodies and a bunch of rubble lying around. The group could be used to help with search and rescue or retrieval. Sure, there are those who could consider that to be beneath them, but we all know that nature abhors a vacuum. 
So there are opportunities to drop things in here like raiders and super mutants and such. So the group could be providing security while others do the work. It's also an opportunity to help others gather supplies to rebuild. They can also be part of a team either doing some rebuilding themselves or providing security for such. Again, again, there are groups that will be attempting to prevent those sorts of things. As we've stated more than once, the goals of this section of the Brotherhood is to assist the people living here to govern themselves and rebuild themselves. So the group will be there to assist rather than govern. Providing security is a way to assist since they can keep the raiders and muties off of those who are trying to prevent the hardworking citizens from being taken advantage of. Now, they can also help Victor expand his business. That's not mutually exclusive from Brotherhood business. And the options here are endless, especially since Mr. Lee's the only other person, so far as we know, that's still around. This would be a good time to create a couple of people who want to try to horn in on their business, which gives the group a chance to put their own stamp in the business world and to do so with Victor's blessing. Again, that's between you and the group, and that's only if the group's wanting to do it. If politics is more their thing, they can work with those who might be interested around Diamond Pass to help set up local elections and ensure they're free and fair. Again, there should be some tensions around them, as well as individuals or groups that are attempting to interfere or influence them. That's why the group needs to be there to step in and make sure things are on the level. We hinted at the Children of Adam way back when we went to Jefferson County in the early days of the campaign. If you wanted to bring them into the campaign, they're certainly a good option to bring in, especially since there's a good chance there's a serious amount of unexploded nuclear ordnance down there that could come into play. It would give a lot of issues for the Brotherhood to be interested in having somebody investigate and deal with. It also brings in our two favorite competing families again, and that was so interested the first time that it could give the group fits a second time. Look, we could sit here and work up ideas all day long. The point here is that if you want to keep the campaign running, you've got options. And if you decide to do that, feel free to hit me up on the socials and let me know what you're doing and how it's working out. If you don't mind, I'll update our listeners on the YouTube channel and share on the socials so others can use your ideas. Otherwise, we're going to bring our campaign building for season two to a close. Next week, we'll have the campaign recap for the final session of My Campaign, since we're playing it tomorrow night as this show drops. Then we'll do the season post-mortems for both the build and the play sessions, so we can check out how I feel about how both went. And for those of you who wonder what those are all about, well, I get critical about myself, so you don't make the same mistakes I made. That'll be next week. In the meantime, check out Role Playing History. This week, we take a look at books that talk about the history of role-playing games. We don't cover all the books by any stretch of the imagination, but we cover an interesting spectrum of them. Role-playing history is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials used on this program are the trademarked and copyrighted materials of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are used on this show for entertainment purposes only. To check out all the products produced by Modivius Entertainment, check out your local game shop or their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Bad GM's Campaign Build Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We've got a presence all over social media, so check out the info box for this show or the website for info about where you can follow us. Next week, we wrap up Season 2, so join us as we wrap this up with a nice shiny bow. Until then, I'm the bad GM Wayne Davis. I'll see you at the game table.